0: like a cheese shop or a chocolate shop, they're very similar in the fact that it might be, you know, small and craft and and very dedicated, but but people aren't gonna go hang out in a cheese shop for an extended period of time, you know? I don't think it would probably wouldn't be very good for them.
1: From ESPM 155AC Studios in Berkeley, California, This is The Hoptastic Voyage, a show where we bring you a taste of the current craft beer industry.
0: We're shaking up the yeast on craft breweries. Are their business models rich and full-bodied, or have they gone bad? Are they sustainable? Are their models replicable
1: for other craft industries? So join us on this voyage to find out. We're your hosts, Byron, Jordan, Jordan, Shane, and Ben. And on today's show, we look at the current craft brew market and how we got here. Our special guest, Professor Michael McCullough. Let's take a step back in time. Imagine it's 1983 and you're going out for a drink. If you're lucky, the bar you're at has two or three beers on tap. They've got Budweiser, Coors, maybe even an import like Guinness. But those are your only options. You're stuck with American adjunct lagers or maybe a stout. Seems pretty limited, right? There are only 80 breweries in the entire country, owned by a total of 44 companies, and the top 6 brewers control 92% of U.S. beer production. Step back to today, and that same bar could have 10 to 20 taps, or like University of Beer in Davis, California, over 100. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, there are now over 3,000 breweries in the U.S. That's 7 times the number in 2001. Since 2006, more than half of new establishments in beverage manufacturing have been breweries. This industry is now responsible for over 60,000 jobs and is still growing, at a time when Americans are actually drinking less beer per capita. It all started in 1965 when Fritz Maytag bought out the failing Anchor Brewing Company in San Francisco and began brewing traditional all-malt beers and ales, becoming the first actor in the craft beer movement.
0: Prior to Prohibition, we had you know, some 4,000 breweries across the United States. Most of them were fairly small. And so servicing your local community like you see
1: today. What happened to those 4,000 breweries? How did we end up with only 44 macro brewers in the U.S.? It's a big combination of technology for the most part, but in a lot of different
0: areas. So technology on both the marketing side, advertising, and then on the production and distribution side. That's Professor McCullough. I'm Dr. Michael McCullough. I'm an associate professor at Cal Poly State University here in San Luis Obispo. He studies the economics of breweries and wineries in the U.S. Um, Most of these beers and the taste and preferences of Americans drifted towards lagers, which are capital intensive, more so than ales to produce. They require lagering, which requires large storage vats and a little bit more time to produce. And so that lends itself to economies of scale. So the larger you are, lower your total costs relative to your output. And, um, and so that lends itself to larger size breweries. And then at the same time, um, we started having uh, easier transport, easier containers for transport. Um, a big part of that was refrigeration and pasteurization. So you could transport further. And um, it would keep longer, and so that really did away with a lot of the small breweries. Part of this was coming out of Prohibition, too. Some of the, the, the people that lasted and really kind of rose up were the ones that were able to diversify and make other types of products during Prohibition, and so they were able to hold on to what they had.
1: So if increased technology led to mass consolidation of breweries, what factors brought us back? There's a lot of things. There's a lot of
0: things, and it really depends on where you're at. Here in California, we've always had a lot of breweries. We've had a lot of old breweries that have existed and that are very particular to their area. Anchor's a fantastic, fantastic example of that.
1: That's the Anchor Brewing Company you heard about in the intro. The the largest roles are going to be the
0: lax regulation in communities and cities Municipalities being supportive of new breweries is a big part of it. Population is a big part of it, and increased income is a big part of it as well. The home brewing movement has played a large role also. Well, home brewing was illegal um, until Jimmy Carter signed it into law, legalizing it at the national level in 79.
1: This legalization allowed amateur brewers to begin proving themselves on an even smaller scale before shelling out for full production equipment.
0: A really big part of it is when you saw the consolidation and the move towards a homogeneous good that the macro breweries were doing, it opened up an area for small pockets where they just didn't distribute to, right? And um, it wasn't worth it for them to go onto a particular market. And so in order for people to have beer there, they had to create their own. That The lack of
1: competition starts to breed competition.
0: In more recent
1: years, we've seen a cultural shift towards support for farm-to-table and craft products.
0: Consumers have, in general, if you look at all food products, they've shifted their demand towards towards higher quality, less processed, more more diversity in, in the types of food that they eat. And beer has just been a part of that. Uh, and especially in the last say five, six years, that's where a lot of a lot of uh, small breweries are are targeting. That's where they're finding their niche. And I think that's that's a, that's a useful thing to do. Um, there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of room anymore for breweries to start really small and then grow very large to become the regional breweries that like we have today.
1: Those regional breweries are defined by the American Brewers Association as independent breweries that produce 15,000 to 6 million barrels a year. They were some of the early movers on the craft scene. This includes well-known names like Sierra Nevada, Lagunitas, and Samuel Adams. It it's, seems to be if you're going to get into the business, you're going to need to be more niche. If you
0: know what you're doing, you can make a really good beer. And so it's a matter of how, how do I differentiate myself now? And, it's, and I think what a lot of people are finding is that you, you are the local source. You concentrate on your local community. That's where your main set of sales
1: are. This has all been the development of the craft brew movement from a cultural perspective. What about regulation? How have states made it easier or harder for small breweries to succeed? How does government play into this? The answer is, not surprisingly, it's complicated.
0: This is one of one of my favorite parts. A lot of what I do is on regulation, and I think it's I think regulation in the alcohol industry is just fascinating because it is so complicated, and um, and it's so different county to county, right? Let alone state to state across the country. So, right, the repeal of Prohibition was basically just saying, hey, you know what, we're not going to do this anymore, leave it all up to the states. And then the states basically became 50 different independent countries where you talk about the movement of alcoholic products between them was either legal or illegal or, or, or discussed and uh, uh, negotiated in certain ways.
1: Each state became responsible for regulating alcohol on its own terms. Many set up three-tiered systems. Breweries were required to sell to wholesale distributors these distributors would then sell to markets and stores where customers could finally buy the products.
0: Anyway, as you move through things, you started seeing, I mean, it wasn't until uh, uh, until around the 60s and 70s that you started seeing franchise laws, right? So franchise laws look at and and set regulations on the, on the relationship between the brewer and the wholesaler, right? And they give more power to the wholesalers uh, saying you can't terminate our contract without just cause depending on the state and where you're at. And that did really well because at the time we had lots and lots of small wholesalers and a few large brewers, right? And so you had more market power on the brewery side. And what we're seeing now is lots and lots of small brewers and larger wholesalers. And so you're starting to see a shift in that market structure and how those things work. And so there's a lot of these franchise laws that are being changed and, and, and contested now, which is which is really interesting.
1: Some of these changes, like allowing self-distribution, have been hugely beneficial to small breweries. I teach a transportation logistics class, and we talk about this as a
0: good example of of how, at first, when I'm small, it might be a good idea that I own my own vehicles and I distribute my product out because it's very local. But as I grow, there becomes gains of specialization, right? So you have to start hiring out your, your your distribution, and it's allowing people to do this that's that's helped quite a bit. These laws have definitely played a part in whether people have thought, well, is this a good decision to go on to this as an entrepreneur
1: other regulations exist as well from controlling what you can call your product to how it's labeled individual states do a lot to decide whether their craft beer industry booms or busts even if they don't realize it there's states that that cap
0: abv in the production there's states that cap abv in the sale right And, uh, and, and those aren't the same and they, and they create different incentives for the types of products you want to make and how you, how you deal with those products. I think a great example of, of a brewer having to deal with these products is Epic Brewing that started in Salt Lake City, great brewery. They make great beer. They finally got to a point mean they said, you know, we can't make beer in Utah anymore. So they shifted production to Colorado and they've, they've done very well for themselves after doing so. And there's also the the idea of uh, agglomeration economies, right, where it's the same thing with the uh, tech industry. You see communities where they have lots of tech companies like Silicon Valley, where there's where there's knowledge transfer. Right. And so you see that in in Denver and in the, in the areas outside of Denver, down in San Diego, up in New England, you know, up in, in, in Portland, where there's where there's a large concentration of breweries and there's a lot of mix of, uh, of information and technology and expertise.
1: And those are all places where we see strong beer culture as well. Beneficial regulation and culture form a feedback loop in agglomeration economies, each supporting the other and allowing the industry to quickly develop through shared knowledge.
0: And, and one thing I do like about the beer industry and you see it, and I, and I will say that there's some people that really take it a lot more than others, but you see a lot of collaboration beers. And I think that's very exciting to see people that they know that they compete at one level, but, um, but they're also a part of a greater market and people wanna enjoy that. And so you see brewers come together to make, to make, you know, a great, great beer.
1: So now the big question, why beer? Why do we see a huge craft beer market, but not say craft apple juice or craft green beans? It comes down to a few things, both the value added nature of beer production and the commodity ingredients beer is made from
0: beer is one of those
1: value-added products where you're, you're taking raw
0: agricultural commodities processing and creating something else out of it and we've got access for 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 beer we've gotten access to good ingredients fairly readily so so um i mean if i want to go if i want to make good beer i can i can find really good grains and really good hops and very very pure yeast or I can, or or preforming or yeast. If I want to make good wine, I really need to have access to good
1: grapes, which is a lot harder to do. So beer as a product really lends itself to a strong craft movement. You can go from from doing it at home, very high quality,
0: to doing it in small production, high quality, regional production, high quality, and very very large at high quality, right? And um, and it's something that can be shared a lot easier and, and, and consumed in a very easy, easy fashion.
1: There's not a whole lot of other agricultural products that you can do that. But could we use the current beer market as a model for other value added food products? Can this sort of craft movement be recreated and spread into other sectors? Professor McCullough doesn't have high hopes. I think is it, it, if you look at the broader market
0: structure and how things fit, there's ways that I think people can look at uh, how they can market their products similar to the way some of the breweries are marketing them. I
1: Thank think you. a
0: lot of the breweries now are taking on, when, when they open tap rooms, they're saying this is something that we want to be a community place where families can come, where people can come and hang out and socialize. And it's about the social aspect of it in addition to the consumption of the good. So, so um, insofar as people saying ag- uh, building agritourism and building upon that, being able to incorporate that into the what they're doing and their foodstuffs, I think that that might help. Yeah, But it is such a different product. It would be. It, it's interesting how 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 specific it really is. Like a cheese shop or a chocolate shop, they're very similar in the fact that it might be you know small and craft and and very dedicated, but People aren't going to go hang out in a cheese shop for an extended period of time, you know?
1: I don't think it would, probably wouldn't be very good for them, so... Overall, the craft beer movement, just like brewing itself, is more complicated than it appears. Perhaps, though, with the right combination of regulatory and cultural support, the craft movement can expand to include other products. The question then becomes, do we want it to? Though it looks beneficial from our external vantage point, Average wages in breweries have actually dropped 25% in the last 10 years. Is the craft beer movement all it's cracked up to be? Find out next episode when Byron takes us inside Bear Bottle Brew Company, an award-winning craft brewery in San Francisco. I'm Jordan, and you've been listening to The Hoptastic Voyage. Our show today was produced by myself, Ben Yeh, Byron Lowe, Jordan Sushar, Shane Wright. Music from Ben Tiso of Ben Sound. Get royalty free music at bensound.com. A special thanks to Professor Kathy De Master and her team of incredible graduate student instructors Adam Kalo, Ida Guzman, Marjana Peterson rockney Myra Montenegro, Robert Parks, and Laura Driscoll. See you next episode on Fantastic Voyage.